All right, how are we? We good? Yeah? Woof. You guys are clappy today. That's awesome. I like when you're clappy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Extra clappy. Uh, so, hey, I'm Ben. Um, I'm the teaching pastor here. Glad you're here. Uh, last night, we did something a little different, uh, which is, so I got a buddy. His name's Steven, and uh, he just got married last night. Jim officiated the wedding, and I was just there attending. I really wanted to go. And so earlier in the week on a Thursday, I came in here to a totally empty room and delivered the talk, and we filmed it, and then we showed it last night on video. Uh, but it was funny because I'm at this wedding and there's a, a lot of people who uh, go to Flatirons at this wedding and it happened three different times. You would see someone and they would look at Jim and then they would look at me and then they would look at their watch <laughs> and I had several people just lean over and go, what are, you, what are we doing about church? <laughs> and I, every time I just told them about the video and stuff, but you don't understand how much restraint it took, because all I really wanted to do whenever someone was like, what are you doing about church? I wanted to be like, well, what do you, it's Friday. And then be like, no, it's Saturday. And be like, what? And then just <laughs> flip out and like gather my stuff quickly. I'm like, I gotta get. So anyway, I'm here. This is not a video. This is me, my real flesh and blood. And I'm here with you. So, and I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, I wanna jump into today immediately because uh, today you're gonna hear two different stories. Uh, one of them is a story that Jesus told and the other is a story from a couple people that I really care about. They're people who sit in these seats every single week. One of them is up on, on stage here in Lafayette every single week. Um, and the two stories, the story from Jesus and the story you're gonna hear from my friends are just are powerful stories and so I just wanna get right into it. Because um, today marks kind of the end of a really long journey for us. Uh, today is the final week of our nine-month-long study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which means uh, if you're new this week and you want to kind of catch up on the stuff that we've been talking about, it's really simple. All you have to do is get online and go click messages on our website, and then all you have to do is watch roughly like 24 hours of sermons from nine months. So <clears throat> you can do that in a day if you don't sleep. So... Um, today will make sense on its own though, but we're at the, the very end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the way he ends the thing is he's got a warning in there. He's got like, or, or, sorry, a reminder, one last reminder. And then he ends with a warning. And inside this warning is a, a piece of encouragement to us. And those are the two things I'm gonna talk about today. Um, let's start with the reminder, the, his final reminder. I'm gonna kind of breeze through it. And it's not because it's unimportant. It's only because over the last few months and the last few weeks, we've given this same reminder over and over again. And so I think for most of us, it's gonna sound familiar already. But so Jesus, even though he's given us this reminder several times in his Sermon on the Mount, he gives us one more at the very end. And he reminds us that the with God life is not about a spiritual checklist. It's about a relationship. And we talk about that all the time in here. Right? You, we, we say stuff like life is not a spiritual balance beam, life is not a spiritual exam where you either get an A plus or you go to hell. And we talk about it all the time because we need constantly reminded and we need constantly reminded all the time because I think you and I have a natural tendency to always slip towards something called legalism. Right? Legalism is when you take the with God kind of life and you try to make it into a formula that makes you a good or bad person and makes you go to heaven when you die. You know, do this and don't do that and do it perfectly. It's a formula. And that kind of legalism always leads to one of two places in our lives. Right? It either leads to feeling superior to others, right? Because I'm doing really good on my test and they're not, right? Or it leads to always being worried that you're not good enough. 
is there's nothing good about legalism. Uh, legalism is what turned the Pharisees, who are like the religious leaders of Jesus's day, turned the Pharisees into hateful, hypocritical people. And still to this day, legalism makes church people into mean or fearful people, right? Just mean. Like, you know, on the corner, a street corner with the picket sign saying, this person or that person's going to hell. Legalism is the reason you were kicked out of your last church. It really is for having the divorce or taking the meds or whatever you were kicked out for, makes us mean, sometimes it makes us fearful. Like I talked about, you're always worried about not being good enough. Am I gonna go to hell when I die? And so near the end of his sermon, Jesus gives us one more time, even if he's being redundant, he gives us one more reminder, because it's important. He says the with God life is not about a spiritual checklist, and there's no room for legalism in a relationship with him. The way he says it is this, he says, so not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And he goes, but, but don't get doing the will of my Father confused because there's still, also there's gonna be many people who say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Didn't we do a lot of great stuff for you? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. And so away from me, you evildoers. It sounds harsh, but what Jesus is saying, he goes, listen, on the day you die, when you walk to the pearly front gates of heaven or however that's gonna work, if you knock on the front door and you say to Jesus, I deserve to be here because I did a lot of really great stuff. If that's where you're placing all of your chips on being a good enough person, Jesus says, if that's you, you just missed the point. Because according to Jesus, it doesn't have to do with how good you are. It has to do with whether or not the two of you know each other. That's what he says in this verse. He goes, I never knew you. He doesn't say you weren't good enough. He says, I never knew you. Apparently, me and Jesus knowing each other is very important. And that's because it's about relationship and not your good deeds. And so he gives us that one more final reminder. He says the with God life is not about a spiritual checklist. It's about a relationship. But because we talk about that all the time in here, I think I can kind of now speed to the end, the very end of Jesus's sermon. And I really like this. He gives a warning and there's an encouragement in it. And it's always been kind of one of my favorite teachings that Jesus gives. I'm excited to share it with you. Because um, it's right after he gives the reminder that the with God life is not a spiritual checklist. Immediately after he goes, but it is still important that you take my words, his truth and his teaching, and you put it into practice. That's still important. And he says, not because it's gonna earn your way into heaven, but instead because it's going to determine whether or not life before your funeral is going to be abundant or is going to be good. Jesus says that doing the stuff that he says to do will lead to a better life in the here and now. And the way he gives this warning, he kind of wraps it up in a metaphor. He tells a fast story, and this is his story. He says this, he goes, therefore, so in light of everything that I've talked about in this sermon, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So a wise person, according to Jesus, is someone who listens to Jesus's outline for a better life and puts it into practice. It's someone who goes into spiritual training based on what Jesus says to be right and true and best, like we talked about in the muscle memory series. And in this metaphor, Jesus says that a wise man is kind of like a, a guy who built his house on a rock, meaning when the storm comes, here's what happens. The rain came down and the, the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
If we put Jesus's words into practice, no storm will ever destroy us. But on the other hand, Jesus says this, he goes, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So a foolish person, according to Jesus, is someone who listens to Jesus's outline for a better life and does not put it into practice. This is the equivalent of maybe we would come in here on the weekend and we listen to the talk and we hear what Jesus says and we go, oh, wow, that's really good. I like that. That's wise, Jesus. I'm listening. But then we don't go and change our lives based on what we now know to be true. Jesus says a foolish person does that. He says a foolish person is kind of like someone who built their house on sand, meaning when the storm comes, here's what happens. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. If we do not align our motives and our actions with what Jesus says to be right, true, and best, when the storm of life hits, we will be crushed. We will fall with a great crash. And then that's it. That's the end of Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. He's done. I don't know what he did next. You know, he probably prayed and said amen, and then his band came out and played one more song on the Mount. <laughs> he was like, there's a prayer team up front and buckets at the back and all that stuff. <laughs> But it's, he's done, all right? Now, there's two things that I really like about this wise and foolish builders story that I wanna point out and hopefully it helps drive it home for us. First thing is this. Um, so I grew up in church for the first 17 years of my life before taking a very long, purposeful, bitter, angry break from it. But that means that I've heard this story you know, upwards of a thousand times in my life, the wise and foolish builder story. And every time I had heard it in my past, I always kind of thought Jesus was talking to stupid people. And here's what I mean. So I'm no carpenter and I'm no architect. You know, like I'll never build my own house. God gave me a lot of gifts. Building stuff is not one of them. I'm one of those people that when I do assemble Ikea furniture, it takes five times longer than it should and it never looks right or functions properly. So I don't do that, all right? But I'm also not stupid. Meaning if I wanted to build a house, I know that the sandy beach is not a good place to build a house. If I were gonna build my own house, I wouldn't say, hey, so where's the nearest pool of quicksand? Because that sounds like good real estate. I wanna build my house in a place where the tide rolls in and out of my living room every day. I'm just not stupid, you know? And so when Jesus says not to build our houses on sand, I always thought he was talking to stupid people. I thought he was talking to people who knew they were building their house on sand. Right, like people who were saying, I know this way of life is gonna destroy me and destroy the people I care about. I just don't care, like I'm gonna keep living it anyway. In other words, I always thought Jesus was talking to people who were destroying their lives on purpose. But as it turns out, that's not the case. And here's why, we gotta remember who Jesus is talking to. Right, and Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who live right next to this massive lake called the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And in the long summer droughts, the sand in this area would bake and it would become as hard as rock, which means during the summer, the baked sand would look and feel exactly the same as rock. Which means if you didn't have experience building in this part of the world, or if no one had warned you about the rock hard baked sand, you could build a beautiful home on sand and you wouldn't see a single problem with it. And you would have a house that functioned for a while, right? It would give you shelter, a place to invite friends, a place to raise a family. In the summertime in this area, you can technically build your house on sand and not even know it. And you wouldn't know it until the storms hit, 
And when the, the rainy season rolls in in this area and the storms kick up, the lake swells and flooding begins and then the baked sand begins to betray its true nature. It begins to erode and wash away and as it does, so does your home, so does your everything. Jesus is not talking to stupid people. He's not talking to people who are out to purposely ruin their lives. Instead, Jesus is talking to people who don't know yet that they're in danger. He's talking to people who are gonna be genuinely surprised when the storm hits and their lives collapse. They're surprised because they just really thought they were building on rock. It looked strong enough. We didn't know it was sand. So the warning Jesus is giving us is this. He goes, beware of sand that looks like rock. There's gonna be stuff in life that looks good and maybe it is good. It'll look like a strong foundation to build your life on. It could be sex, money, power, popularity, your physical appearance. It could be your retirement fund. It could be your passion, your marriage, or your, your parenting, or your career. And at first glance, it's gonna look strong enough to build your entire life on, and so you will. And it'll function for a little bit. But then a time comes when the storm hits and your foundation will betray its true nature. It's just sand, and it's not strong enough to build your life on. It will, it will erode, it will wash away, and you and your life will, quote, fall with a great crash. Jesus is saying, beware of sand that looks like rock. Meaning, listen, I'm sure your wife or your husband is excellent, they're great. They're also just not strong enough to be your entire foundation. I hope your job is awesome. Careers make crappy foundations. Or even the stuff like, you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. It's a blast for now. It will wash away. It will erode. And when you do, you'll fall with a great crash. He cares about us. And so he's warning us, beware of sand that looks like rock. He says, put my words into practice now. Readjust and realign and rethink your life now before the storm hits so that you don't come crashing down in the future. He goes, you might not at first glance be able to tell the difference between sand and rock. And so he says, trust me, I'll tell you what is sand and I'll tell you what is rock. He goes, but wherever you build your house, the strength of your foundation will display itself when the storm hits. And he says, a storm is coming. And that's the other thing that I really appreciate about Jesus in this teaching. I love that he's honest with us. Because it is worth noting what Jesus does not say right here. Right, so here's what Jesus did not say. He didn't say, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who will never have to endure another storm again. He does not say that. I mean, don't get me wrong, if you put his words into practice, you can avoid just about every single self-made storm known to man meaning consequences from your own foolish decisions. But there's a whole other different type of storm out there, and that's the one Jesus is talking about. Let me explain by using his metaphor still. The weather is out of our control, right? Whether or not it rains today, whether or not it snows on Tuesday, you don't get a say in the matter. It's out of your control. The storms that Jesus is talking about right now, it's the stuff in our lives we got no control over. It's the bad news from the doctor and the diagnosis and the death and it's the car wreck. It's getting laid off and filing for bankruptcy. It's the kind of stuff that just happened last week during class in Highlands Ranch. We had no say in the matter, out of our control. See, Jesus is saying, 
that regardless of how well you do or do not put his words into practice, it doesn't change the fact that we live in a broken, screwed up world. And he says that regardless of the fact of whether or not you've put your life on sand or your life on rock, he says a storm is coming. Not necessarily the consequences of your own decisions, but something out of your control. And it's important to know that he says that. Because there's honestly just a lot of crappy preachers out there who will tell you if you just cross all the T's and dot all the I's on your spiritual exam and you do everything right and you, and you read your Bible every day and you pray at the right times and you tithe your 10% and you donate to goodwill, if you do everything right, then God will spare you from storms. And it's not true. It's not true at all. And that kind of false teaching like does spiritual damage to people. Because it tricks us into believing a lie, into believing the lie that when the storm does hit, meaning the cancer sets in or the depression comes back or the severance runs out, when that happens, it must be because I did something wrong, right? I'm not good enough, and so God is now punishing me. And Jesus says, that's not true. Instead, he's just being honest with us. He does not say, if you put my words into practice, I will give you a storm-free life. He says, if you put my words into practice, I will give you a storm-proof life. It's very different. He says, I will guarantee that you will stay standing in the midst of the storm. When the storm hits, it won't crush you and you won't fall with a great crash. He says, if you build your life around me, you will stay standing. My name is Wilson Costa. I'm a firefighter in the city of Aurora. And I'm Whitney Costa, and I'm one of the worship leaders at Flatirons. We've been married two and a half years, been together almost five years. Um, so it was a Friday morning, and I was driving actually to my chiropractor's office to just like pick up some supplements. And so I had like stopped to turn right into um, the parking lot, because, but I couldn't get in because there was a garbage truck coming out. Um, so I was at a dead stop waiting and I kind of looked in my rearview mirror and I thought, surely he's gonna slow down. And I just had this moment of, there's a garbage truck in front of me, this guy's gonna hit me, I'm gonna get smashed between these cars. Um, so I like put both feet on the brakes and I kind of like turned my body like away and then I got hit. Yeah, it was the, that first day yeah, so after the, our date. The day after our first date, I'm at work, and so I text her, hey, how's it going? And she sends me a picture of her car, and like the entire back of the car is like completely smashed in. Yeah, I was pretty stiff the first day, and then the pain started the next day, and um, it has never stopped. Migraines every single day, um, just like constant like vomiting from like pain, just overwhelming pain. Um, you know, we've seen every doctor that I can think of. Um, last summer, us, yeah, right at the beginning of summer, we found out my jaw um, has actually been dislocated this whole time. <laughs> and the hope is that that is actually what's causing the migraines. Um, it like dislocated on this side as I like turned my body in the thing. And um, so now I'm in a therapy, I wear a splint. It's just this ongoing process of crap. We keep thinking there's like an end in sight and then there isn't. It just feels like, where's God in that, you know? We, we wanted to be married for a couple years just to, uh, 
because, you know, we didn't live together before we got married. We, you know, did it the old-fashioned way. Like, we wanted to, like, live with each other and get used to each other before we tried to bring another little human being into the world. And so we started trying about a year, year and a half after we got married. Yeah. Um, and it just wasn't happening. Because of being getting married older, I just wanted to make sure, like, everything was working. Right. So I went and got checked out, and everything was fine. So we kind of just kept going and just were like, okay, it's a timing thing. Yeah. And then... She was she was at another doctor to get checked out just to check one more test. Um, and I kind of just jokingly, I was like, well, maybe I should get checked too. And she's and like, that, actually, maybe you should. Yeah, that's when she so said, like, like, male infertility is, like, really high, so... So, yeah, we see the urology specialist, and he pretty much flat out told us, like, you guys can't have kids. Yeah, he said you'll never have, like, biological kids. You'll never have biological kids. And so... (sighs) I was angry. Um, I felt guilty. Um, All she's wanted to be is a mom. And she'd be an amazing mom. And for me to be the problem in that gave me an unimaginable amount of shame and guilt. Uh, It made me feel worthless. I think like my stuff, I'm always like sad that God has chosen not to like heal me. And this was the first time I was really angry. I'm like, how dare you like attack this man in the way that he struggles already? Like, how dare you? I haven't actually felt that from God in a long time, that he's good. Our circumstances right now feel like you're not a good God. But the other side of that is the relationships that we have around us. Um, I think God's using those um, to show us his goodness. It's it's the community that we're surrounded with. We're, we're receiving from friends and family, the attributes of God, that we're, get, we're getting them this way instead of this way. Um, because our circumstances feel like they're coming this way. So then we, ha- you know, we have to believe that He wants good and has good for us, or He wouldn't have those people there. In light of all that, it feels like the stuff around us is almost like unstoppable and com- like it If we focus on that, it's all like overwhelming and it can get really dark like really quickly. And my job is to get up on stage and tell people that God is good. So sometimes, you know, in the midst of all that, I'm saying that for them. And sometimes I'm saying it for me. Um, But even when it's hard to say, it doesn't mean it's not true. I haven't ever gotten to the place where I'm thankful for the the bad things, (laughs) but I can definitely look at how God has been faithful even through all of this. Like we're still standing. Um, So I definitely feel let down in certain areas, but I don't, I mean, we're still here. I'm still able to sing, like I can get up there and do this. So he has to be good if that's true. Um, He has to be on my side.
So here's the truth. Jesus never promised us a storm-free life. He promised us a storm-proof life. And he promised that if we make him our rock and our foundation, if we make him the thing that we build our lives on, if we do that, we will stay standing through the inevitable storms that life throws our way. And we might not like hearing that at first. And that's okay, and I get it. You might be sitting thinking to yourself, going like, well, yeah, but I want the formula. I thought you were gonna give me the formula for how to avoid out of control storms in my life. I get it, it's just Jesus is saying that that is not at all the case. And any preacher who told you it was, he's just not telling you the truth. He's not teaching you reality. Because reality is that a storm is coming. And like Whitney and Wilson talked about in that video, Jesus is saying there's basically two options. There's two deals on the table for when the storm hits. The first deal is life with him, and it means you'll stay standing through the storm. The second deal is life without him, and it's hopelessness in the middle of the storm. I'm asking you the same question that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago. What would you rather have? Would you rather be crushed by the storm or stay standing? Because the option of storm or no storm is a lie. Would you rather be crushed or stay standing? There's this great theme that threads its way through all of the Bible. And it's, it, it's this theme that points to one of the main characteristics of who Jesus is, and then by default, one of the main characteristics of the people who follow him. And this characteristic, this defining trait of Jesus and a Christian is supposed to be this. We are the ones still standing. We are the ones still standing. Supposed to define who we are because we follow Jesus. It's supposed to be the kind of thing where other people in the world look at us and they go, I don't know much about those people and I'm not sure exactly what they believe, but I do know that they're never down for the count. They just don't have any quit in them. I do know that whatever life throws their way, they're just still standing somehow. We are the ones still standing. This great verse written by a guy named uh, Paul, and he talks about this, and the way he says it is this. He goes, we're hard-pressed on every side, right? The storm is just closing in and claustrophobic, and we're surrounded, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, confused, maybe angry at God, doubtful, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And another way of saying that would be, we're hard-pressed, but we're still standing, we're perplexed, but we're still standing, persecuted, still standing, and when we get struck down, we get back up because we are the ones still standing, and we're still standing, and it has nothing to do with our resilience or that we have enough strength on our own power. We're still standing because of our foundation. Our foundation is resilient. Our foundation is strong enough. We've built our lives on and around Jesus Christ, and he'll keep us standing in the middle of the storm. This idea is all over the Bible. I could read you 10 verses right away that have to do with this, but if we look at just the Sermon on the Mount itself, you realize it's bookended with the same theme. I mean, he ends his Sermon on the Mount by talking about the wise and, and foolish builders. He ends it by saying, I fight on behalf of the people who are walking through out-of-control storms. If that's you, I'm with you, I'm on your side. That's how he ends it. And then you remember how he begins it? When we looked at it forever ago, it's that thing called the Beatitudes, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Blessed if you're mourning right now. Blessed are the meek and the taken advantage of and the insecure and feeling inadequate, the, those who are beaten up by life. He goes, blessed are you. Blessed are the anawim. Blessed are the down and out. He begins it by saying, I fight on behalf of the down and out. If that's you, I'm with you. I'm on your side. All throughout Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, all throughout the Bible, we find this theme that only because Jesus is our foundation and our strong rock, for that reason only, you and I can confidently say, I may be mourning right now, but I'm still standing, and I may have been taken advantage of, but I'm still standing, and an out-of-control storm may have beat my life up, but because of Jesus, I'm still standing. We are the ones still standing. We, me and Jesus, on this rock, still standing. And so here's how I wanna end this thing right now. I'm gonna ask that everybody stand up with me. So when we first started our study of the Sermon on the Mount, that was nine months ago. And a lot of storms can roll in over the course of nine months. For a lot of us, maybe most of us, life looks very different than it did back in September of last year. We've lost people that we love, or the cancer has come back, or the depression and anxiety has sunk its claws in deep. We felt crushed by the weight of our marriage or our parenting. We were laid off and no one is hiring. A lot of storms can roll in in nine months. And so in this moment right now, to end our nine-month-long study of the Sermon on the Mount. I wanna end it in the exact same way that Jesus himself ended it. And I wanna remind you of what you're still doing right now. You are still standing. And maybe barely, maybe you don't even know how you are, but you are still standing. And the promise is that if we continue to build our lives on and around Jesus, if we stand on that rock and that firm foundation, if we turn and look at others who are standing on that same rock and we link arms with one another, we will stand tomorrow and the next day and nine months from now because we are the ones still standing. So I'm about to pray and then we're gonna sing a song together and the song is called You Are Good. It's a song written by our worship team and one of the main writers was Whitney. This is one of those songs she talks about in the video where it's like sometimes she can sing the words, you are good, and it really feels like it. And then other times she's barely able to choke out the words, you are good, because it just doesn't feel like it right now. Storm is too out of control, too loud, too violent, no end in sight. And in those moments, she doesn't sing you are good because she feels like it. She sings you are good because she's reminding herself of God's promise that he really is good, even in the midst of this storm. And I think we can all relate. And so to end what has been nine months of the study of the Sermon on the Mount, I wanna say this, I don't know where you're at. Maybe one of your storms has come and it's gone and you can sing the words you are good in confidence because now in retrospect you can look back and you realize he is good and he was good even in the middle of the storm. If that's you, you're in the right place because this is the place filled with the ones still standing and you are proof that God is on our side. He's for us and not against us. 
Others of us, we're in the middle of our storm right now, like we can, we're not gonna be able to say those words of this song out loud. We aren't gonna be able to choke it out. Or maybe your life collapsed on sand years ago and you've spent nine months rebuilding it on rock and it's been a brutal process. If that's you, you're in the right place. This is the place filled with the ones still standing somehow. This is the place to be reminded that God is for you. He's not against you. Keep clinging to him. Cling to each other. You will stay standing. And then lastly, if you're in here for the very first time, you don't believe in any of this stuff, right? Invited by a friend, you were curious, you popped in. I want you to know if that's you, first of all, welcome. And if that's you, you are in the right place. And you have to hear God is for you. He is not against you. And if life falls apart, I hope it doesn't, but if it falls apart, you know where to run to. You can run here. We'll link arms with you. We'll love you and accept you for who you are and what you're walking through. And we will lovingly point you to the only foundation we have ever found strong enough to keep us standing. Only because of Jesus, we are the ones still standing. Pray with me. God, I thank you for your honesty. I thank you for the fact that you only ever, you only ever gave us reality. You didn't give us a fairy tale to believe in, and so you were honest, and you said that we just live in a broken, messed up world with out-of-control storms that will move in, the kind of stuff that we go, oh, that'll never happen to me, and then it did. Thank you for your honesty, but God, we need confidence in you. We need confidence that you are not lying when you say, I am strong enough to place your entire life on. I am strong enough to keep you standing in the midst of the storm. Yes, even this storm, we just need confidence in you. God, I pray for all of the different storms that are raging in all of the different lives and all these people in all these campuses are sitting at home and watching online, God, please remind us that you aren't going anywhere and you're strong enough. It doesn't feel like it right now, but please remind us that we will stay standing if we place our lives on you. And then God, I thank you for being the kind of God who doesn't look at us and say, figure it out. I thank you for being the kind of God who since the beginning of time has crawled down in this mess with us and you weather the storm with us. I thank you very much for that. God, I pray this in the name of our rock, Jesus Christ, amen.